good morning, church family. Uh, of course, what a great day it's been already in the Lord's house, and uh, we're excited uh, to be able to worship with you as well this morning. Uh, I want to introduce Brian Scott to you and the Scott family. Uh, they're around here somewhere, so uh, his wife, Hallie, his daughter, Lainey, they are with us today, and we are certainly excited. We've uh, heard uh, so much already, so many great things from our early service, and then Sunday school, I got to spend some time with them as they taught one of our Sunday school classes as well, and so it's awesome to hear from their family and what's been going on across the world and how God's using his family and other missionaries to reach people for the name of Jesus. And so listen, we're excited that they're here. I'm going to let Brian share from his heart, but I do want to mention this. I didn't mention it in the early service, but I wish I would have. I, I do pray that you hear his heart and his family's heart this morning. It's incredible to me just to think about those who are traveling across the world, who are leaving their homes here that we, uh, you know, so much enjoy and the, the freedoms that we enjoy and just the, uh, the, the, great things that we have here, right? And so I think about them and what they're doing and how they're sacrificing and uh, living in different places and hearing their story. And here's what I'm just reminded of. What a great opportunity we have uh, to partner with families that are being sent all over the country to spread the name of Jesus. And so I have certainly, um, it's been my honor to have them here this weekend, and I've enjoyed my time with them, and I know that you will as well. So Brian, I'll get out of the way and awesome. uh, let you share with us this morning. Thank you. So. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Scott. Some of you I know, some of you obviously don't know me. Uh, <clears throat> we're a missionary family, and I'm a team leader of a small group a team that is trying to make Christ known amongst the Muslims who live in the Caucasus Mountains of Russia and Central Asia. And so, <clears throat> that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Russia, Caucasus. Did you you catch that? Caucasians? Everybody who lived on the other side of those mountains at one time was called Caucasians. I don't know, blue hair, blue eyes, whatever it was that they saw. But they were there, and they called those people Caucasians because it's a big, giant mountain range. And so that's how that name came about. And believe it or not, it is a place. And believe it or not, it's filled uh, with Muslims. Lots of them. Seven million of them live in those mountains. And so... Uh, let me get my notes up. The last uh, service, I had notes, and uh, I had some highlights done in a certain color, and I couldn't read them in the lighting, and so I was all over the place. This time, hopefully, it'll be a little better. Uh, my wife, Hallie, uh, she's here. Would you stand up? Just stand up. She's back there in the middle. That's my wife, Hallie. Stand up, Lainey. That's my wife. That's my daughter, Lainey. Thank you. Say hi, everybody. Uh, Lainey is our pride and joy. Lainey's a linguist. Uh, like, literally, she speaks a couple languages. She was there. She's the one on our team who uh, translates for dad <laughs> in almost every situation. And so, it's crazy. And so, she's gifted, and uh, we're, we're, we're trying. We're trying really hard. So, and Hallie, my wife, beautiful, kind, caring, loving, gracious, compassionate, uh, able to be present in the hardest situations. That's my wife. But you can pray for her because she is in a difficult marriage. And so just that's what, that'll help her. Uh, I want to thank the pastors and the staff, praise team, everybody, uh, the elders, the deacons here, uh, just for the opportunity to share with you. I was a missions pastor at a, a church called College Heights Baptist Church in Casper, Wyoming. Many, many years ago, we put out a, a need on a, Southern Baptist thing, and this church responded and came out and helped us repair an old school that we bought to reach our community called the Community Center. 
<laughs> like, uh, yeah, you guys don't know <laughs> what a difference that made in the world. I didn't know until I went out and saw it for myself. You made a difference. You came and helped us reach our community. You came and helped us reach the world. We, through that time when we grew, we reached a people group in Africa called the Tabwa. One million people. No gospel witness. Seven years later, gospel witness. Still going today. And you guys had a piece of that. You had a part of that because you helped us. You just help each other. It's so good. So, uh, I just want to say that I'll never forget the way that this church became friends with us and valued us as friends. They didn't just come and share the good news. They didn't just come and help with their skills. They shared their whole lives with us. And we just have relationships now that we never would have had because you guys were relational. That's just amazing. So God bless that. Uh, we have been serving with Frontiers. It's a mission organization. It's like the IMB, but it's Frontiers. I don't have a, 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 a bachelor's degree. I didn't qualify. So I had to go with a different org that would take uh, amateurs like me. And so I went in. So we partner well, though. We work with Send Relief, which is what it's called now. It used to be called Baptist Global Response, and we do crisis response all over the world with them. And they're our mentors, and so great partners. Uh, I don't want my girls' uh, sweet dispositions to fool you. They are sweet, but they are tough as galvanized nails, and they live a life, and I can vouch for this, they live a life worthy of their calling. They're incredible. Actually, my job is to get them to places. Like, I'm not really the leader. I just build a place for my wife to be, and she reaches people for Christ. It's just, and Lainey does the same thing. So if the secret is out, I'm not that great. They're amazing. And so my job is to keep them out amongst it. And so uh, this Islamic, uh, Islamic republics, it's terrible, I know. But you see the Black Sea over here, the Caspian Sea, in the middle of that, is a mountain range, two mountain ranges, one to the north, one to the south. The one to the north, you'll see it all spotted up. Dagestan, Karachai, Cherkeskia, Kabardino, Balkaria, Northern Ossetia, Ingushetia, Chechnya, Kalmykia, Abkhazia. Ever heard of these places? Maybe Chechnya you heard of. Chechens are kind of famous. Oh, anyway, they are in the Ukraine war. And so, crazy place, all Muslims, 7 million Muslims, and then you got a little one down on the corner called a Jara. Can't really see it spelled very easily there, but right in the bottom left-hand corner of Georgia, that's a Jara. They're all Muslims there too. Left over from the Ottoman Empire when the people took over all that. And so we're trying to reach those people. Uh, for five years, we've been working with Frontiers and out of our church in Casper. For the last two, we've lived inside the Russian Federation. We lived in a little town, just, uh, well kind of right by Kabardino Balkaria. If you just go up into the pink there, right there. That's the Florida of Russia, <laughs> right there. It's the nicest, warmest weather in all of Russia. It's not warm, but it's the warmest weather in all of Russia. And so we were in a great place. And so lots of, at a linguistic university there. Uh, reaching spiritually entrenched Muslims uh, under the watchful eye of a tyrannical government has its ups and downs. And so, uh, but last year when the special operation started, things got, uh, well, they ratcheted up quite a bit. And uh, let's just say our situation wasn't comfortable or easy. It did afford relationships that would not have happened if things hadn't gotten worse. It did afford opportunities to share the gospel with people we would have never had had not the situation gotten bad. Like when things get bad, people start reaching out and wondering what's going on, God. 
even Russians. Like, what's going on? What's happening to our future? And so we were there, and we were able to stay up until March, the end of March. And so these Caucasian tribes here that live in these, all these colored areas, these Caucasian tribes are wild, untamed, uh, as wild as the mountains that they live among. And they speak the most difficult languages on earth. It's called the mountain of languages. I don't even have to go into it. It's impossible to explain to you their languages. But you've never heard more marbles like in your cheeks. Just like it's that language. And so crazy languages. Difficult. That's why a big piece of why they don't have the gospel. They're just languages. You have to be a linguist practically to be able to talk to them. And so uh, these are the kind of people in places that literally eat well-intending mission teams for lunch. They just eat them up. People don't make it there very long. It's what we call highly resistive region. Next slide. My role on the team is to bring new field personnel into our team, and my job is to train them for the challenges that they will face. And so from that perspective of bringing good people who have good intentions and have skills and gifts, bringing them into a place that's difficult, reorienting them to what's happening there and language study and all that, and then getting them ready to chase like hard dreams in the mountains. Under the clouds right there are villages, Muslim villages. That's the Caucasus. And so mountains are gorgeous and the people are fierce. And so it's a wonderful place if you like that kind of thing. My job is to bring people through it and be ready to go to the next step, like deeper in. So it's from that position of trying to help people reorient and get their life squared up with where they're headed that where I'm going to share with you some stuff this morning. And so maybe you know some highly responsive uh, or highly resistive people right here in Saltilla. Maybe there are some people here that uh, are resistive to you sharing the gospel with them, right? This is the problem grandma. Uh, this is a Dagestani woman, grandma, and she doesn't want you in her village. <laughs> you can understand why. They've been mistreated. But maybe you know some people like that. You know, things here have been getting crazy since COVID, right? Crazy. And people exhibiting strange behaviors that we haven't exactly seen before. Traditions that were long honored seem to just kind of disappear overnight. And, you know, culture's changing fast. So we're up against it. So do people you share the gospel with sometimes kind of approach you with some suspicion or some ridicule maybe, or even worse? Well, it's from that perspective that I want to share this morning, how to reach difficult people. Well, the text I want to use is out of uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. So this is verse 1 and 2. If you got your Bible, open that up. We'll read that along. I use the New Living Translation. I don't know if you know this, but the New Living Translation, if you're overseas and you're working with people and you have to use a translator, this is the only translation that was translated specifically for the purpose of speaking out loud and for translation. So when you speak it, it's so much easier for your translator to handle the English. And so from that context this morning. So if nothing else, you learned that little fact today. You might have already known that, but anyway. So this passage starts with some prayer requests, then a key reminder, then an encouragement and then another prayer, kind of a spontaneous prayer at the end. So this is a context of Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and they're kind of having to address some reoccurring issues. It's just problems that just can't get solved, even though they've covered them a bunch of times. 
So they're writing this letter. And you, if you've read Thessalonians, you know what they're talking about. So in this context, this is where I want to point out some key examples of things that I think have to be in place if we want kingdom efforts that we make to last. If we want to see fruit, this lasting fruit that honors Christ, these are some things that have to be there. So I, I kind of titled this Examples of the Gospel Obeyed. So here I'll read. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Pray, too, that we will be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not everyone is a believer. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one, and we are confident in the Lord, and you are we are confident in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we commanded you. This final prayer. May the Lord lead your hearts into full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Let's pray. Father, we humbly ask that you would speak this morning. When you speak, it settles things. Lord, when you, we hear your voice, it calms our spirits it soothes our minds and it prepares us for what we're up against. Lord, you, you bring peace and stillness even in chaos. And so, Lord, we'd ask you to speak. Lord, we ask that you would help us and enable us to know what it means to be the family of God, to know what it means to walk together. And Lord, would you just send your message through your messengers to every tribe, nation, and tongue that your name would be honored and you would be lifted high, that the world might know how wonderful you are. In Jesus' name, amen. The gospel is revealed in the first four books of the New Testament, right? That's the gospel revealed. In Acts and the corresponding letters, we have the gospel obeyed. In those books, we see what Jesus' hand-picked disciples and those that followed them thought it meant, what they understood it to mean to obey the teachings of Jesus and to take it in this great commission that he had sent them on. That's what's there. So it's a good place to start. It's a good place to look. Thessalonians is actually one of the first letters written of all the letters. And so as we look at that, it's a good place to start to see what did they believe it meant to do this? What did this look like played out? And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's the first part. Oh, sorry, it's not up there. I'll look at mine. That's all right. Uh, dear brothers and sisters, this is a simple greeting. You can look past it. It's all over the Bible. I'm telling you, in this situation, it means something. It means something. These were people with real faces, and they loved each other, and they cared about each other. They knew each other. Even when they weren't around, they could jump right back into relationship with each other. They could write a letter, and it meant something. These people had their lives on the line together. So what I see in that, dear, just that simple phrase, dear brothers and sisters, if you look through the whole book and you look through the New Testament, I see words that reveal a fundamental pattern. It's called the great commandment pattern. That's what I call it. Great commandment pattern. It means it must be present in someone's life that the world is to know that they're a disciple of Jesus, and it must be present if people are going to recognize Christ in us. The apostles refer to this all the time. It's an endearing relationship. It's, you know, deep compassion, deep concern. People who are flawed, they have problems. They're working through stuff. They're still working through stuff. 
They're real people, apt to fail in the midst of struggles, but people who knew the Lord and they began to put the relationship more important than the problem. The cancel culture of canceling relationship is not godly. God's in relationship with us and think if he was in cancel culture. I'm done with you. Like that's just not who he is. That's not who he is. So the writers of this looked for this pattern in the Thessalonians and they saw it and it's mentioned in uh, book one but it's also in chapter one verse three of second Thessalonians. Next slide. Sorry. Next slide. One through three. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the earlier chapter. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. When the apostles were working and they saw people coming to Christ and they saw them sharing the message and they saw them loving each other, they looked for this because this is a signal that Jesus' spirit is involved. They love each other. People who shouldn't love each other love each other because of him. So this comes from Jesus. John 13. Next slide. So now I'm giving you a new covenant. This is Jesus telling his disciples how they were supposed to be. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How are we supposed to love people? Like we want to? How about just love them like I love you? (laughs) It's a simple model. Be the way with others, the way Jesus is with you. It's not hard. It it is hard (laughs) because it goes against everything we have in us, right? But it's simple. Be with others the way he is with you. You know, you don't have as many problems if you would be with others the way he is with you. And you know how he's been with you if you know him. He's been good to you, hasn't he? He hasn't upbraided you when he could have. He hasn't pointed out your shame when he could have. He hasn't condemned you when he could have. No, no, he loves you. He wants to cover your shame. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your God. How good is that? So this commandment to love each other is more than just a, you know, uh, a good example for us. Oh, do this. It's not just a way of behavior. This is actually a way that we reflect how God is. As image bearers, we reflect God's nature by being this way. So God exists. He exists in loving relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Loving relationship. Does Jesus love the Father? Does the Father love his Son? Does the Spirit of God testify to all of that? Oh, man. They love each other. They existed through all time and still exist in relationship. So if God exists in relationship, we need to exist in relationship if we're to bear his image. If you've ever been a part of a relationship where you've been a part of the kind of godly love that God's talking about here, if you've ever been part of a fellowship where people care for each other like that, it's powerful. It's a difference maker. And it must be present if we're going to have success with our kingdom effort. Second example is actually tucked into why Paul is asking them for this prayer. He's sharing requests, not just because he has a relationship with them, that's a good reason, but two, he believes in an interdependent standard and they operate in it. 
I've been neck deep in taking the gospel places that hasn't gone. Take it from me. The prayers of people praying for you is what keeps you there. Not your own things that you're doing and all that you're trying to do. Prayer, partnership, interdependence. We, these guys in Paul, Silas, and Timothy depended on brand new believers in Thessalonica to pray for them. These guys were studs spiritually. <laughs> and they needed these people's prayers. And they were still struggling with just basic obedience and stuff. Right? Man, they, they needed each other. So the gospel, these gospel teams lived in a standard of interdependence and they depended on one another. Their whole concept, the Thessalonians and the guys who are writing this letter, we are in this together. We're in this together. So look at this. Here it is in Scripture. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes. They were looking for partnership. They were looking for people who cared for the same things they cared about. Our life is intended to be expressed with God, in family, in fellowship, with brothers and sisters in our community. Our lives are to be walked out as members of a body bearing one another's burdens, yet constrained by our love for one another and different backgrounds. We're from different backgrounds. How do you do that? We're from different backgrounds, different stages of life. We have different gifts, different jobs, different personalities. You can be one in Christ in that. He can do that. The Spirit of God can make you of one mind, one purpose. It's in Scripture. A life, I would call it, lived out as y'all, not just you. Right? You understand that concept of y'all. No one understands it better than people in the South. I love that concept. So uh, let's go to 1 John 17. When this interdependent standard is cultivated and present in a group of people, persuasive energy is there and it can affect the world for God. John 17, 20 through 21. Christ prays this. This is his prayer. Does God answer... Jesus' prayers? Let's just ask that question before we say. Yeah, the Father answers every prayer Jesus prays. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. That's me. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, and you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and they may, that they may be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. How will the world know? We'll love like Jesus loved. We'll love each other. And we'll be one. One doesn't mean one, like, uniformity, and we all have the same, we're like robots. That's the opposite of what it means. It means you can be different, but you still have the same goals, the same focus, the same love, the same cares. And you can express that individually in a healthy way. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 2. Is there any encouragement in belonging to Christ? I hope so. Any comfort in his love? I hope so. Are any fellowship together with the Spirit? Oh, man, I hope so. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? I hope so. Then make me truly happy, Paul says, by agreeing wholeheartedly. You put the small things where the small things go, and you put the big things where the big things go. And you don't let the little things destroy the big things. 
right? Wholeheartedly agree with one another, loving one another, here it is again, and working together with one mind and purpose. I hope and I believe, I've been listening to your pastor's messages, I think you guys want to see people in Saltilla come to Christ. I think you want people in Tupelo to come to Christ. I think you want people in New Orleans to come to Christ. People in jail, people in prisons, people, right, your enemies, people who don't like you, you want to see them come to Christ. People who are resistive to you, you want to see them come to Christ. Muslims in the Caucasus Mountains, we want to see them come to Christ, right? That's what we want to see. Well, we can rally around that goal, can't we? Rally means to regroup and get in a group effort and to reposition and try again in a different way together, right? So we need to be sold out. This is the big point I want you to leave with this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, you're part of this fellowship, we need to be sold out to following Jesus together. Together. So we might need to refresh our commitments to one another, maybe to our fellowship. We might need to choose again to stay open uh, to God and open to each other, open to call ourselves, right? Open to call ourselves to and back to biblical behavior. Do you have a friend that you can rely on to call you back when you get off, disconnected from God, disconnected from the fellowship? You need some people to call you back and say, hey, you know, man, that's not right, Brian. I'm a team leader. I need my teammates to be free enough to tell me, I don't know, Brian. I don't think that's right. I think you're off here. Man, I need that. You know, as everybody knows, you don't always know what you're doing, but you're just walking by faith and you're putting your feet out there. You're hoping that the stairs are there in the dark. Man, you need people who you can rely on to, to give you counsel and help you walk that faith walk. So, I want to say this as respectfully as I can. I was a pastor. I know the high value that we have for independence in this country. I think it's good. It's necessary. It's necessary for maturity. But if you just have independence, you yourself and I, and you don't let that independence mature into interdependence, then you, it gets to where that independence kind of narrows you down and pretty soon you become an almost undirectable group of people. It's all doing your own thing and it doesn't accomplish the big thing. It doesn't accomplish the church looking like it's one because that's what God said will show the world, right? So we need to do that. We have to commit to that. Uh, another example, and I'm gonna have Lainey come up and share an example is a great commission vector. It's in the scripture. It's obviously in the first prayer part, right? He says, pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly. Well, yes, that's the great commission. And the great commission vector is you got to have that in your life. You got to think, what's my part? How do I, how do I help the mission go? Here in Sotillo, right? Jerusalem, Judea, ends of the earth. How do I, what's my part? Might be going, might be supporting, might be praying, might be all three, might be different at different times in your life. So, really good. So, Lainey, come up and read. Lainey's going to read a little story. Are you familiar with uh, some Indian tribes in America have a tradition called a fire starter? They keep the fire. Because fire changed everything for them, right? And there's a person in the tribe who's always able to start a fire no matter what happens. And that person's job in the tribe is to make sure they have the fire and they have it kindled and they can always start a fire and keep everybody warm. 
And so let me, hey there, sweetie. Sorry. There's your mic. You want to turn it on? Thank you. Where is it? There it is. Okay, hi. Uh, <laughs> I'm Lainey. I'm just going to read a short text called Where There Are No Campfires. Okay. <clears throat> My father woke me just past midnight, making a sign that I should not wake the others. He handed me my shoes. Our campfire burned low and cast a flickering light on the sleeping faces of my family and friends. Away from our village we walked, my father and I, until we were climbing up through the pines. Now we could look back on the soft glow from our village. He was taking me up to the high ridge, the boundary of our people. He had seen me talking with my friends the day before, pointing toward it and dreaming of adventures. Now, with legs full of blood ascending toward the top, he began to speak. You are drawn to the places where there are no campfires. Some will try to hinder you because there are plenty of needs in our own tribe, but they often forget how our own campfires got started. But look now, here we are at the crest. At this, he sat down and motioned for me to do the same. We could, see now, we could now see down the opposite side of the ridge, which is to say, we could see nothing. I waited for my eyes to adjust, but the darkness seemed to be a thing alive, like a pot of black paint or a vast ocean of ink. How long we looked, I do not know. Don't be fooled, my father said. There are people down there. As they are, we once were. Fire starters, now forgotten, came to where we wandered in darkness. It will be the same someday for these. Can they come join us and, and join our can they come to us and join our warmth and light, I asked. They're welcome to, of course, he replied. But that is not the way it happens. Others must bring it to them. They must be sent out, a ritual laying on of the hands in prayer from our elders, and a leaving of all that is familiar. It is our responsibility to send the holy fire to them. The fire starters must go, lay down their wills for the good of others, just as Messiah did. Somewhere below, I could hear a sound that I could not describe, but if sorrow and anguish could be heard from a long way off, this is what it sounded like. I felt a grief inside too deep for words. You go back and wake your friends, my father said, his words stirring new excitement into my soul. You are fire starters. The Messiah's spirit, he will go with you. Thanks, bud. That's a great commission vector. When Lainey was eight years old, she got saved at a camp in, in uh, Montana, Clydehurst Christian Ranch. And she went forward, and I didn't know she was going forward, and she went forward, and she went up there. There was a ventriloquist. It was great. Went up there, and she came back, and I, I waited, and I said, what happened? I said, what, what, what's going on? Something you need prayer for, honey? And she said, yeah. She said, she said Dad, I just needed to make sure that I knew him. And make sure I did this. I said, oh, that's, that's great, honey. I mean, because, you know, she grew up in church. Her dad was a pastor, like the whole thing. And, and so I said, that's great. I said, well, what, what, what did God say? And she said, well, I think when Jesus comes into your heart, Dad, he brings his love for the whole world with him. I've never heard it said any better. You want to know Jesus and you want to love him, you've got to love the things he loves. That's how love works. 
Love always loves to be told what it knows already. <laughs> Jesus loves everybody. He was, and he's died to save them, and he's made a way. So we love everybody too, and we do our best to take them the message so that they can know him, right? Simple as that. That's a great commission vector. Sorry, I'm about to read you the Firestarter poem again. <laughs> uh, so I just want to say that's a DNA marker. It's a DNA marker of a fellowship that God wants to use to export what he wants to bring in the world, that vector of having a great commission, like that is part of it. Loving one another, right? Being in relationship and caring for one another when it's hard, when it's not easy. Interdependent standard where we need each other. If you're a kind of person who says, I don't need anyone, well, you need a few. <laughs> you need at least a few. You don't have to be a bubbly extrovert, but you need at least a few people. And if you don't think you need anyone, then I'm not the only person that's worried about you in here. So, there's other examples I wanted to look at, but I want to get to the meat of the matter. At the end of our verse 4, we get to the meat of the matter of the problems that were going on. And what, if this isn't there, all the rest falls apart. <laughs> and this is very simple. It's so simple, you're going to think, yeah, duh. <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway, because it's where our problems lie. And it makes or breaks everything, most, most everything. The context of the letter was Paul is writing, and Silas and Timothy, to address problems they had already addressed in person, in a letter, in person, in a letter, like same problems. And every time they address them, they just find a new way to have, make it a problem. So Paul's, how do you deal with this? And so... The Thessalonians had a few people in there that just weren't really doing the example, for better lack of terms. And so, in our team, we run across people who are confused all the time. Languages are confusing. We live in the land of confusion. It's chaos with the war. It's nuts. We have a saying that we always have to think about, and that is a confused mind says no. When somebody's just confused, you're not going to get a yes out of them for anything, really. They're just, what are you? What, what is this? I don't know. It just kind of says no. We, and that's true, and that's something you have to do. We have to be patient with people who are confused. We confuse people, so we have to be clear in how we do things as much as we can. We have to live it out, demonstrate it, use our hands to t talk, I mean, all that stuff. That wasn't the problem here. These people knew what the instructions were, but they just didn't want to do it. <laughs> I mean, they just actually didn't want Paul and those guys to be in charge. I don't know if there was a power struggle. I don't know what was going on. But they just didn't do it. So the concept here is obedience-based discipleship. It's very simple. It's a simple concept. James talks about it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. It's a simple concept. Well, yeah, yeah. But man, it is where the problem is. Right? It's where the problem lies. Consider Jesus, right? Consider him. The Bible says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's a, that's a great verse. God in the flesh learned obedience <laughs> through the things that he said. He put himself in a place to be obedient. That's crazy. This is honoring to his father. And so the Bible says also that he's, through his obedience, many were made righteous. We're righteous because of his obedience, right? 
his death on the cross. Jesus was obedient to death, even the death on the cross. That's another one. Like, that's so deep. Obedience wasn't the set of rules to keep for Jesus. This was honor of his father and honor to nations. And it was salvation for you and me. He saw your face in every obedient step he took. He prayed for you before you existed. He brought you into existence. Like the whole thing is, it's, it's, it's incredible. So look at John 20, uh, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I do what the Father requires of me so the world will know that I love the Father. This is Jesus' motivation for everything he did. It wasn't, I got to do this so I can keep the law so these people can be saved. It was, I got to do this so the world will know who my Father is. He's good. He's not who the devil says he is, people. Right? He's fixing everything. He's demonstrating God in a way we could understand him, right? So powerful. He loved the Father. That's why he did everything he did. That's where our obedience should come from. It's not rules to please God to go to heaven. It's, man, he loves me, really? And when you get to know him, you go, he really does. I just want to love him back, right? I just want to love him back. These examples we observed all we talked about can be conceptualized and you can see how they're important. You can see them in scripture, but they're useless if you don't obey <laughs> the example. It's just useless. And so what good is an example if it's not followed? It ceases to be an example and it's just some kind of thing. And so that's where, for me, that's where my problems lie. It seems obvious, but it's the plague of our day. Uh, people know what to do. They just don't want to do it. <laughs> And they find a reason not to. And it doesn't lead to faith walk. It leads to, eh, you know, push it off or something. So I don't know about you, but that's where my problems lie. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, and it's where my problems lie. Sometimes I just don't want to. Sometimes I feel sorry for myself. I have a pity party. Sometimes I'm just sick of how hard things are. Uh, you know, what am I doing here in the middle? I can't learn this language. These people hate me. I mean, what? You can just get all pity party and then I just forget. <laughs> just forget who he is and how he looks and why he sent me and that he can trust me. He evidently thinks he can trust me or he wouldn't have called me. I have to get back into that. I get so disconnected from him. Disobedience is easy. That's where my problems lie. So here's the great thing. It's standing like a Caucasus mountain in the middle of our text as a reminder. God's faithful. Now, that, that is the truest thing you're going to read this morning that I shared with you. He can't help but be faithful. Not just because he's God and he has to. He wants to. You know God likes you. He likes you. He doesn't just love you. He likes the way he made you. He likes you. You know how hard that is for me to say sometimes? I don't like me. He just has to love me. He's God. No, no. He likes me. He likes me, and we spend time together, and I like him, right? That's what he's calling you into. That's the relationship, and when he calls you into how faithful he's been, oh, you remember who he is, and you connect with him when you need him. When I left Russia, had to leave, it got, it got bad. 
we had planned to leave, and we, actually, we were, our, our operation went according to plan. <laughs> I don't think theirs is going according to plan, but ours did, and we left right when we thought we would. We stayed right up to the time, and God just is like, everything was going on wasn't going on around us in some way. When we walked out of there, my team leader guy who's over me, he kind of checks on me every week, and he said, your job, Brian, for the next time as you leave, you have an assignment. Your assignment is this, and you need to be obedient to it. Every time someone takes care of you, everyone, every time somebody prays for you, cares for you, does something for you to move the message forward, you thank God. To their face, thank them or thank me if you can't thank them. And I've been doing that since I walked out of Russia. I, God has been so faithful to me. I'm standing here in front of you with friends that still care about me when they could have forgot all about us, really. And all I see everywhere around me is the faithfulness. I see my wife, and I see my daughter, the faithfulness of God in people. I said, wow, this is, what, this is what faithfulness looks like in real life. I can feel it from him. I know it from him, but it also plays out in real life. So I'm just, I need to lean into God's faithfulness to reconnect to who he is when I'm not in that place. I'm asking you if you would do that too this morning. That's great. I just want you to remember this as we close. In your day-to-day struggles, to obey the gospel we've talked about this morning, God will be faithful to help you. He's going to be with you. When he said, I'm going to be with you, he meant, I'm with you, inside and out, right? He's going to be with you, whatever you're going through, whatever thing that you have to go through, whatever, how far along it is, sickness, health, he's going to be with you. So I'm just inviting you this morning to walk and step into his faithfulness. Remember how good he's been to you. Be thankful for the things when someone cares for you, when someone tries to help you, when someone encourages you, when someone calls you back. Thank God and let that graciousness and that thankfulness permeate because he is faithful and he will be faithful to see you all the way through from here till you sit in streets of gold on the side with him marveling that it was real and he was there all the way so we can we can count on that this morning i'm going to give an invitation and we'll close if you want to come forward and uh, i'm just going to pray if you want to do business with the lord privately you can go here if you need to counsel you have a situation in the life you want prayer for you're having trouble obeying or maybe you just want to know jesus maybe you don't know him know him like what we're talking about here There are people in the vestibule there area where you can talk and you can get help you need. Man, if you need help this morning, it's right there. It's right here too. You can privately seek the Lord and you can get it. So I'm asking you to step into that this morning. I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna come up and play. We'll be done. Father, thanks for this time. I ask, Lord, that your message would spread rapidly. Nothing would hinder it, not us, not the devil, Nothing. And Lord, I pray that your message would spread rapidly. It would be honored wherever it goes. May the name of Jesus Christ be lifted high in every tribe, nation, and tongue. People who didn't know you will know you. That's your promise. The mountains and the islands will know you. People who've never heard will be astounded at you. And so, Lord, we, we ask for you to accomplish that in us. People in Saltillo, Mississippi will know you. I pray for this whole town, Lord, that you would do a mighty work. Grow this church. Grow its influence from here to the ends of the earth. Fill it up with your spirit. Send it out. 
Use it for your glory. And Lord, may they personify your love for everyone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.